When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now August the 21st, 2023. The Orioles are 77 and 47, and let's take a moment to appreciate that. They are 30 games over 500 with 10 days left to go in the month of August. And if you did happen to bet the Orioles over under on win total for this season at most sports books that are operating in Maryland before the season, they set the over under for wins for the whole season for the Orioles at 76.5. So anyone who bet the over, which I don't recommend you do, in general, you are not smarter than the sports book. But in this case, if you bet the over on Orioles wins for 2023, you've already won that bet with 38 games still to play. That is pretty impressive by the Orioles. Um, just a bit of a miss by the collective sportsbook world. I don't think they're going to lose any sleep over it because they're still making money. But you know the Orioles, they won 12-1 to over the Oakland Athletics on Sunday afternoon, completing a sweep against the Woeful Athletics. Gunnar Henderson only didn't get a cycle in the game because he was too good. He doubled in his final at-bat of the game when he actually just needed a single. Ryan Mountcastle had three hits in the game, including a monster dinger. He's got his season OPS over 800, so that's pretty good after especially how poor he was before he went on the injured list due to what turned out to be vertigo. So it turns out getting over the vertigo was pretty good for Ryan Mountcastle. Jorge Mateo, he hit an inside-the-park home run in the game. Kyle Bradish went six innings, allowed only two hits, no runs, one walk, eight strikeouts. Yes, it is against the Oakland Athletics that he did all of this, but, you know, that fits into Bradish's pattern of strong performance so far in the 2023 season. Really, he's been great. He now has a 3.03 ERA and 1.10 whip for the season so far. Although the Orioles did get the sweep, the series had its share of frustrations. On Friday, Kyle Gibson was not very good against the poor Athletics lineup. Saturday's game, the Orioles' offense only scored two runs through nine innings against a series of not very good Oakland Athletics pitchers. And then even after they scored five innings, uh, five runs in extra innings, they still made us sweat, if you were up late watching, with loading the bases with no one out in the bottom of the 10th. So it was the tying run was on on deck with no one out in the bottom of the 10th, which is still far away. And indeed, the Orioles ended up winning 7-2. to two, No runs scored. But, you know, it should have been absolutely coast completely. And still, they, uh, they, they did not make it easy on Orioles fans, even after getting the five runs in the top of the 10th inning. But still, a sweep. A sweep is a sweep. The Orioles... Come out of this West Coast swing across three cities with a 6-3 and three record on the road trip. You absolutely would have taken that 
for the trip. Uh, if that's what someone had proposed to you before the Orioles ever flew out that direction, I guess you could say maybe it's a little bit disappointing that they were not able to go uh, 7-2 and two after winning two out of three against the Mariners to start the trip, which really should have been the hardest game. But they did lose the Padres series. And, you know, I'm not going to dwell on that too much right now because, you know, the Orioles, they have a three-game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League East. They have an eight-and-a-half game lead over the closest non-wildcard team in the American League, which is now the Blue Jays. And the magic number for the Orioles to clinch the American League East is now 35. So I'm going to move on into what is really an, a very uncharacteristic Mark thought, and that is this. The Orioles are probably going to make the playoffs. And for longtime Baltimore sports fans, we may recall that in the 2000 season, when the Baltimore Ravens were heading towards making the playoffs, then-coach Brian Billick uh, would threaten to find players if they did media interviews and talk about the playoffs. So the euphemism for the playoffs in that year came to be Festivus for superstitious reasons. And, you know, I don't, uh, I don't feel that superstitious about it. And I'll tell you why. Because on Sunday morning, the Orioles had a 99.6% chance to make the playoffs on baseball reference, 99.0% on fan graphs to win the AL East. It was 77.3% in favor of the Orioles on baseball reference, 60.9% on fan graphs. Again, they are eight and a half games ahead of the closest non-wildcard team they are seven and a half ahead of the wildcard two team. So that's pretty darn good. And that's where the Orioles are right now. So at this point, we can look at the coming month of October and figure the Orioles are almost certainly going to at least need to try to line up for a best of three series. They may be fortunate enough to win the division and get the bye and skip that round, get a few days off and then line their people up for a best of five series. So what I'm thinking about today, and if you are superstitious and don't want to think about this at all, it's okay if you stop listening to the remainder of this podcast. My question for today, who belongs in an Orioles playoff rotation? So before we think about this, I'm just going to run through some of the basics for the postseason scheduling for this year. So the format for the wild card round, best of three, is three games in three days that are all in the stadium of the better seed, which in the event the Orioles do not win the AL East, which I don't think is as slam dunk as the percentages do yet, uh, they're pretty good, tracking pretty good to at least get uh, host the best of three series. And that round begins on October the 3rd. So there's one day off after the end of the regular season, and then boom, you're into the best of three. They might not have the luxury to set up the rotation one, two, three, four this wild card business, depending on how the fight for the division goes, if they're fighting for the division down to the end, which they need to, because getting the buy is important, then they're going to uh, not necessarily have like their best starter ready to go at game one. So we'll see how that all goes. But the reason why the buy is important, well, you skip the best of three coin flip entirely. You get off days from October 2nd through the 6th. You can fully reset your rotation. You can rest everyone on the team a few more days. And it gets you right in to the ALDS round, the best of five. That round is formatted with games one and two in the team with home field advantage, an off day, 
games three and four in uh, the team that doesn't have the advantage off day and then game five. So unless someone uses goes short rest, that series is going to need four starters if it goes the full length. And, you know, the Orioles, they're already limiting innings for pitchers with a six-man rotation right now. So I feel like counting on some kind of short rest situation, it's not very likely. I guess maybe if they get to the playoffs and, you know, they've uh, they've won the division and they feel like, okay, we're riding everyone as hard as they can, then maybe they would do it. I don't know. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised with that level of aggression. And if they're fortunate enough to make it to ALCS, you've got... Uh, games one and two in the team with home field advantage, which if the Orioles win the AL East, they should end up with uh, advantage in the American League Championship Series as well. Then you get an off day, games three to five in the road team for the first couple games, an off day, and games six and seven back in City One, which we can hope will be Baltimore. So again, you're going to need four starters there unless you start doing guys on short rest, which I, in the ALCS, I don't think that's the way you want to play it. Um, maybe you would think about it in the World Series. Maybe if you can imagine the Orioles playing in the World Series, which, as I remind you, at the start of every episode of this podcast has never happened in my life. And I'm turning 40 later this year. So it, it, uh, I, I can't even fathom it, honestly. But as far as the Orioles starting rotation, pitchers, Orioles starting pitchers entered Sunday's games with a 4.45 ERA for the year. That is just about middle of the pack, 16th in Major League Baseball. Their performance in the second half, that's almost identical, a 4.38 ERA. That's 14th in MLB. So among teams that currently hold a playoff spot, the Orioles rotation is the worst based on ERA. Um I mean, it's a problem. It's something that they're going to have to deal with, I think, if they're fortunate enough to make it into these later postseason rounds. They're going to have to overcome that they have probably the most underwhelming set of starting pitching options available to them. It is a problem, but you can pare down your rotation to four starters in the postseason. So that's helpful if you can ditch the two worst guys and suddenly your rotation looks better, which... Uh, you know, it's a little bit more complicated than that for the Orioles, but let's look at who the guys are. Okay. Number one, for me, that's got to be Kyle Bradish right now, which is completely unexpected relative to what I was thinking he would do this season. But at this point, it's hard to argue. We're now looking at beyond a full season worth of quality pitching going back to last year's all-star break. We're talking a 3.03 ERA this year. He had a 3.66 heading into Sunday, so it's not like he's getting too lucky. 1.10 whip. He lacks the name recognition of big-name aces, guys with big contracts. He doesn't have big strikeout numbers, slightly below a batter per inning. But, I mean, the results are what they are at this point. Among AL starting pitchers with at least 100 innings pitched, Bradish, after Sunday's outing, is fourth in ERA and third among starting pitchers on AL playoff teams. So, as far as the playoff field is concerned, Bradish is, in fact, one of the dogs. He is the dude, and he's on the Orioles. And so if you're talking a best-of-five series, I hope they can line him up for games one and five and just let him go. And uh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully they don't need to go five, right, if they are in a best-of-five. But if they do and they're at game five and they're relying on Kyle Bradish based on his 2023 results, 
you can't get too upset about that. So number two, Grayson Rodriguez. That's for me. That's because his second half performance, although it's only six starts, I don't think can be ignored. He now looks like the guy we absolutely wanted him to be all along. He's also got a 3.03 ERA, although that's just for the second half. Opponent OPS, 517. A whip of 0.918. Again, that's six second half starts. So, I mean, just the one obvious question there, can he hold up through the rest of the regular season and then into the postseason? The six-man rotation giving extra rest. We just got to hope that he does it. And honestly, I mean, that's not a, again, it's not a name brand one-two punch necessarily, although Rodriguez did have a lot of prospect stock before the season. But if they live up to their potential, they've shown in Braddish's case over the whole season and in Rodriguez's over the second, that's going to be a a, a nice one-two for the Orioles if they can line them up like that. It gets tougher from here because Braddish is the only guy with good full season numbers. And so what do you get for number three? Uh, If you're looking at only their season ERA, I guess number three is actually Tyler Wells, but he really, really stunk in July and the Orioles banished him to the minors after a 6.43 ERA in five July games. And yeah, I mean, if Wells had been holding up, you know, maybe the Orioles don't even need to trade for Jack Flaherty, but they did. I don't know what their plan is for Tyler Wells. I feel like it's possible they might actually just be done with him for the year as far as pitching in the major league uh, rotation. I, I don't know, but I, I, I'm pessimistic about Wells uh, continuing to contribute in 2023. So I'm actually saying number three is Dean Kramer. He's got a 4.50 ERA. 93 ERA plus for the season. That's actually 7% below league average, but he does have a 3.83 second half ERA in seven games started. So that's a sign of possible improvement there. Uh, And then again, what? Number four, it's bad that we have not named any of Kyle Gibson, Jack Flaherty, and Cole Urban through the first three spots in the rotation because, I mean, the Orioles got all of these guys uh, at a point where they needed to get some kind of difference maker for the rotation They haven't succeeded yet, although results are getting a little bit better for Irvin lately. And Flaherty, it's only been a handful of starts, so he could uh, could show better than he's done so far. But like Kyle Gibson, I mean, last year he was on the Philadelphia Phillies team that made the World Series. And here's how they regarded him. He did not pitch at all in the wild card or division series rounds, had one appearance each in the LCS and World Series rounds, did not start a game. So... Gibson, that's that's how his last team regarded him when he had an ERA of 5.05 in the regular season. We're now talking 4.97 in 2023. Uh, I, I would not want to see him get a rotation spot. Is this the part where we hear John Means' music? For me, again, maybe a little pessimistic. I feel it's better not to count on him, although his rehab is advancing. Four innings pitched, 55, uh, 57 pitches thrown Sunday for Bowie. The only damage allowed on the scoreboard was a leadoff homer, and he only allowed two hits overall in his four innings. So, yeah, it means, I don't know, um, it would be nice if this could just be Jack Flaherty, because that's probably why they traded for him, but we have not seen that from him in his results so far. So, I don't know. If you're talking a best-of-five series, your uh, your game four guy, that could be a put-away game with a 2-1 lead. It could be an elimination game with a 1-2 deficit, and... I mean, neither neither Gibson nor Flaherty nor Irvin is terribly exciting to plug into that spot. I don't know. We'll see what ends up happening. It might not be that they can just line it up so easily anyway, because 
if they have to pitch in, have the, the wild card round, the wild card game one starter does not line up for LDS game one on regular rest. LDS game one starter does not line up for LCS game one if the series goes five games. So it's basically going to be on any given game, plug in your best rested guy on each day and hope for the best. And honestly, after the last um, several bad seasons of Orioles baseball, if we're in a point of the Orioles in the playoffs, I'm going to try not to complain too much. But, you know, once you've tasted a little bit, you want the whole enchilada, right? And, um, of course, that's what I'm going to be rooting for. And I'm going to be grumpy uh, whenever uh, something negative happens, if they get that far. So, yeah, playoffs, it's not a guarantee, but it's looking pretty good right now. And the Orioles have a lot of time to think about who they want in their rotation, how to line them up. Hopefully they can do that successfully by clinching the American League East with some uh, cushion to spare. For now, three-game lead, magic number of 35, which is a large number. I was taking a task on Twitter for starting the countdown before the teens, but you know what? I'm going to enjoy this for as long as I can. And the magic number, again, it's 35. Pretty cool. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so let's open up the mailbag. We have a message today from listener James, and James sent a long email. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the gist of it is that James was uh, looking at the Houston Astros of the previous decade and even stretching into this decade, which, given Mike Elias's ties to that regime, I think is completely fair to continue to do. So the Houston Astros, James noted, the first playoff appearance for them was in 2015, They won a World Series in 2017, won the World Series again in the 2022 season. So going from the 2015 season to the 2017 World Series winners, James noted there were 16 of the same players on those two Astros teams. But across the whole period of seven years, there were only two players that stuck around that whole time. And that was Jose Altuve and Lance McCullers for the Astros. So James wanted to know if the Orioles have similar glory years, do we have five players who can be around the whole time? Or do we have two players who can be around the whole time? And in general, he wanted to know, do we have the next Brooks, Frank, Jim, Eddie, Cal, more or less career long Orioles, you know, Hall of Fame Orioles, whatever. Um, James, feeling more optimistic than me, picked five guys who he thinks can hang around for the duration. His five guys were Kyle Bradish, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, and then James admitted he fudged a little bit by counting Jackson Holiday in the group as well. That was his fifth guy. He thinks if, having, if you have to pick just two, it will be Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday. And, okay, here's my cold dose of reality on this, uh, this thinking. Everyone who debuted earlier than Grayson Rodriguez is going to be a free agent before the 2029 season unless they are signed to a contract extension. So is Elias going to start wanting to sign some of these guys to extensions of, like, 8 to 10 years when they have very little service time? Is he going to have players who... He maybe wants to sign to like a six or seven year contract after they've got two to three years of service time. Will John Angelos let Mike Elias commit that kind of payroll years down the road if Elias decides he wants to do it? 
If the answer to either of those questions is no, are we going to start getting players regularly traded in the vein of the Rays after four to five years, or will the Orioles just keep players until they hit free agency? And some of this, I feel, may depend on whether the Orioles can keep getting elite prospects who they develop and have arriving or nearly arriving in the MLB level. So, like, now through to the 2030 season, I'm sorry, probably nobody. Zero. Zero. Okay, probably zero. Uh, yeah, the Buck era had the I like our guys slogan, and it was absolutely nice to get invested and think about, okay, this is the same core. We like these guys. They're just going to stick around for the rest of their careers. But they get older, and once they cross past 30, getting older is not good. And then they become free agents, maybe even before they turn 30. And then what? You know, at, at, at a, a point, keeping every player is not ideal. And the Orioles, I mean, they tried to hold on by keeping players they shouldn't have kept, like signing, of course, Chris Davis was the worst, but also signing contracts for like Darren O'Day and Mark Trumbo was not advisable. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. Like, because even if you just think about 2023 through 2027 and who's going to stick around for all these seasons, like Anthony Santander, John Means, and even like Ryan O'Hearn. Those guys are free agents after 2024, after next year. Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes are free agents after two years from now. And like Ryan Mountcastle and Ramon Arias are free agents after 2026. So even just looking through 2027, you might only be looking at like Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, Kyle Bradish, and like Felix Bautista through 2027. Um, because like the one team long career guys, it's just not the way the game is now. It's not the way players, most players approach their careers. It's not the way most front offices approach building rosters. So like the best hopes for Orioles fans is players who are going to sign like a big deal, like 10, 12 years when they're pretty young and they get locked in for a lot of guaranteed money at a very young age. And the team gets cost certainty, and what could potentially be a superstar player at relatively cheap prices for their um, willing to absorb a little risk in giving out a lot of money to inexperienced players. So, like, the two best guys to fit that for the Orioles are Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday. But bad news, those guys are both Scott Boris clients. Uh, they're highly unlikely to sign pre-free agent contract extensions. I feel Holiday, especially given that not only is his family loaded, it's baseball contract money loaded. Like he doesn't need to get the certainty. You never know. It could, there could be a surprise, but I just, anybody who thinks, oh, the Orioles need to sign Henderson or holiday. You're probably going to get disappointed. And if you get mad at Michael Elias for not doing it, I think it's not worth getting mad at anybody for the player deciding the best way to make a lot of money in their career is to hit free agency, get the highest contract wherever and sign it. Like don't get mad at the player for that. Don't get mad necessarily at the Orioles for deciding they don't want to do it. That depends different circumstances. Um, I don't know. It, they're not going to be around in 2030 Henderson, probably not holiday. Yes. If he debuts in 2024 and they stick around uh, maybe, but 2030 is a long time away, James. And so I don't think anybody's going to hang around that long. Um, hopefully we get a second good wave of players, and that's what it's going to take to sustain the success over as long as the Astros have now done. 
I think if we, the Orioles can get a second good wave by around the middle of the 2025 season, some of these guys we should see sooner. I'm about to rattle off their names, of course. Jackson Holiday, Kobe Mayo, Heston Kerstad, get Colton Kowser back up and stick around for good. Maybe somebody like Judd Fabian or Dylan Beavers. And at this point, have guys like Samuel Basayo, Enrique Bradfield Jr., maybe another 2023 draft pick like Mac Horvath or a later round guy at this point knocking on the door. I think the Orioles would need to hit on a pitching prospect or two, maybe one of the trio of guys they traded for last year that was pretty close to MLB, like Cade Povich, Chase McDermott, or Seth Johnson, who has now gotten officially started on his Tommy John rehab games. Maybe some later round picks uh, currently on the MLB Pipeline top 30 Orioles like Justin Armbruster or Alex Pham. And I mean, if the Orioles end up trading more prospects or if they start getting to the point where they trade like second and third year arbitration guys, then they need to get back better players than Cole Irvin and Jack Flaherty. That's going to be essential as well. It hasn't happened yet. Um Maybe Flaherty will turn it around the rest of the year. Maybe Irvin will turn it around the rest of the three years after this that the Orioles have control of his services, which, again, that's a lot of years to get value. So it's it's possible. But I, I'm not optimistic based on those guys' results early on. So thank you, James, for writing in. I'm sorry I did not have a happier response to your inquiry. Anyone else, if you would like to write in, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com if you have a question for a future episode or just any feedback you'd like to offer me about the show. That is all that I've got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or a review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Wednesday, hopefully with a nice game against the Chicago White Sox on Tuesday. Excuse me, the Toronto Blue Jays on Tuesday to talk about. In between now and then, you can leave a comment on Camden Chat. You will find me there in the comments with the name Eat More SK. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.